Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Come see the Boutique on Central in downtown Laurel for the best deals in women's fine clothing. Let us complete your one-of-a-kind look at the Boutique on Central at 531 Central Avenue in downtown Laurel. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host, Gerard Gibbert, along with Rhino in the Element Well Studios, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music. Kicking off a brand new week here, Rhino. Oh, yeah. It's a little chilly. Somebody turn the air conditioner on over the weekend. <laughs> Good grief. Just the way I like it. Man. Well, if you like cold, I guess you're happy. And it is I'm cold. always a bigger fan of cold weather than hot weather because I've said it before and I'll say it again. Okay. You can always put on more layers, but I can only get so naked in public before somebody calls the cops. <laughs> well, it is indeed a bit chilly out there today and expecting a little rain to move through, right? Later yeah, just a evening? little bit. Yeah. Spotty uh, showers with a few rumbles, but nothing severe. Okay. Well, that's good. Wow, it was uh, quite the interesting football weekend in the Magnolia State. Uh, the Rebels came up uh, just short, a bit short there, and their quest to take down the Crimson Tide of Alabama. The Bulldogs, uh, I thought, put up pretty good effort against the top-ranked Georgia Bulldogs, who are pretty good. Is there any doubt they're the best team in the country after watching them all season? Uh, there are a few Big Ten people that would probably argue, but yeah, it's tough to argue against Georgia. They're pretty good. Pretty dead gum good. So, uh, it did not come out the way we wanted to there, but nonetheless, still a good weekend. And it was cold during those football games, too. Had to have lots of layers on to endure that. On the political front, it looks like the Democrats will retain control of the United States Senate. The race in Nevada this past weekend was called for the Democrat, and uh, Adam Laxalt, the Republican challenger, did not prevail. It was close, but Senator Catherine Cortez Masto won her reelection. Now, Nevada has traditionally been a difficult state for Republicans simply because of the Las Vegas area, which is home to the majority of the state's population, is highly uh, unionized. And they typically cast their votes for 
uh, Democrats. But interestingly enough, they have now a Republican governor who flipped the seat, flipped the governor's mansion there in Nevada from the Democrat who held it. And I think that's the only seat Republicans flipped, the only governor's race flipped by the uh, the Republicans. In- interesting. Of course, we still have the House. is still outstanding. Don't have the finals there. So what this does mean, however, I honestly did think Laxalt was going to pull that one out. I thought he was a decent candidate relative to uh, Cortez Masto, the Democrat uh, the Democrat candidate on the Senate side, the incumbent. But what this does mean now is that the race in Georgia is less significant in that it will not decide control of the Senate. That ship has now sailed. So the race in Georgia, which will be settled in a runoff on December 6th, Herschel Walker and Raphael Warnock, the incumbent Democrat, they'll... they'll uh, Settle that deal on November 6th. Now, I I did uh, contribute a bit to the Walker campaign, a small amount. Reserve my contributions for candidates within state. Um, the, already the email barrage and the texting has started, right? Give me more money. How much will pour into that? I would say... Less now, given that it's not as pivotal, not as meaningful, but still will be a bunch of money. Now, what is something to at least be concerned about is that you might have a situation where if Warnock prevails, possibly could the filibuster be eliminated, but that really doesn't matter as long as you got control of the House. Because because no legislation, even if it could pass on a simple majority in the Senate, without the supermajority super required, as long as the filibuster rule is in effect, wouldn't matter if the House, theoretically. Now, that, of course, means that the House would have to, the uh, excuse me, the Republicans in the House would have to unify, right, in their voting practices. And I'm thinking the Democrats are probably cutting deals with certain swing district Republicans to see if they can't pull them over to their side to get something passed. And it's likely not going to take too many dissenting Republicans to join the Democrats. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but it's a possibility won't take too many because as it stands right now, it looks like the the margin in favor of the Republicans ultimately when all the races are settled, probably gonna be five to seven, maybe. I think as it stands right now, uh, the difference is in fact what, about five? Last I saw it was two eight, I think actually, two twelve to two. 04 was the last figure I saw, and that may have changed. Yeah, that's what I'm seeing still. 
212 to 204. So an, an eight-seat advantage presently in the House to the Republicans. That means there are 19 seats with a total of 435 seated in the House. 19 seats still yet to be decided. 19 races. Most of those, of course, are in the West. Although I saw Rhino, there are a few in New York. Still, you've seen that? Still undecided. Now, the fact that these races are lingering on for so long, I think really does stoke folks' concern, rightfully so, about election integrity. Doesn't necessarily 100% mean that there's some sort of impropriety occurring with respect to elections, but it does certainly call it into question. Why does it take so dang long? Well, part of the explanation there is there are 50 states, and all 50 states have different set of rules that govern their elections process. In some states, a ballot, a mail-in ballot has to be postmarked by election day. Well, it may not be received for several days after that, and I think their different states have different, right? Or if ever. Or if ever, correct. Because, um, I mean, there was the story over the weekend of the lady riding her motorcycle and found a big old bag full of ballots in I, a ravine in California. What's that all about? I mean, that's that's disturbing. There's no doubt about it. But, uh, and so they have, they have a, a date after the election some date and time after Election Day, such that any ballots received after that date are just not counted. Uh, they must be in hand. So you've got all these different laws, rules, associated with the elections process that I think causes this problem. But, again, I say more importantly, it just makes people leery. There's no question about that of the integrity of the elections. You had the situation in Maricopa County where the tabulation machines, those are optical scanners that scan the mark sense ballots, were malfunctioning in certain precincts, I believe, and uh, so they had to get those fixed. A lot of people were in line. A lot of people left. And now, of course, folks are saying, well, they didn't get a chance to vote and didn't vote, just couldn't get back to vote. And that's a legitimate, valid concern. But how do you know that the people that were in line that didn't vote, how do you know what what candidate they were going to vote for to determine whether or not that could have been a factor in the outcome? Uh, it's a mess for sure, um, and maybe this is why the Democrats want to federalize the elections. That would certainly standardize them, but I think it would benefit them as well, the way they've got that written up. We're going to take a break right here. Frank Bordeaux, chairman of the Mississippi GOP, on middays at 11.05. Stay with us. Back to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi.
a few browns Tight pants, points, holler down She was a black-haired beauty with big dark eyes And points all her own, sudden way up high Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We are in the Element Well Studios. We thank you so much for joining us today. So we're just talking about uh, these midterms, which are still going on. The Senate, of course, will stay in the hands and the control of the Democrats. One seat remains, and that would be a Georgia. If that goes for the Democrat, it'll be a 51-49 situation in favor of the Democrats. If it goes to Herschel Walker, the Republican, in the December 6th runoff, we'll have what we have now, 50-50. Oh, 50-50 with Vice President Kamala Harris having control of the uh, tie-breaking vote. But little can be done without control of the House, assuming Republicans maintain their present lead of eight. It's 212 to 204. That uh, means there are 19 seats yet to be decided. But it also would require, let's, let's just say it stays at that, at that eight-seat delta, as it is now, 212, 204. You're going to need all of them, because sometimes you get a little peel away from within the party, both sides. And you're going to need all of them, or at least enough, to to, uh, have a majority. Well, you need 218 at the end of the day. That's what you need. When it comes to voting, to pass legislation in the House, or block legislation proposed by the Democrats in the House, or which is transferred over by the Senate. So on the ceasefire text line, Jim says the Georgia race is still extremely important, given Manchin's voting record. Well, I agree, Jim, but again, the House is key. The, The House still prevents anything from passing. So it's not like it was or is presently where... Democrats have the control of the House, the majority in the House, and they can pass legislation, send it to the Senate, and you don't know what Manchin's going to do. You do wonder, however, though, Rhino, might Senator Manchin consider changing parties, given his recent riff with the president, who says he's going to shut down all the coal mining operations. He, of course, represents a state which relies heavily on the industry. He said that, what, just last week, I think Biden did. Now the question is, does he even know he said it? <laughs> was, was he serious about it? Or did it just kind of come out of his head? Who knows? Really? And maybe this is wishful thinking, that Manchin would uh, would jump? I think if he did jump, it wouldn't be across the aisle to the Republican side. It would be like Bernie Sanders, where, yeah, I caucused with the Democrats, but I'm actually independent. Yeah. Thomas and Green, I agree with you. Thomas and Greenwood says, so, uh, let's see, it's 
it is easier to question the integrity of an election than to admit Trump is a liability to Republicans. You know Warnock is going to win. Mansion switching parties would be top-shelf bread and circuses. There you go. Larry and Jackson says, this is why we used to have an election day. How do you handle, Larry, our members of our armed forces who are deployed? How would you suggest handling that? How about folks who are infirmed? I mean, there, there are some legitimate hardships or extraordinary circumstances that I think we need some sort of accommodation for from a voting perspective. Uh, is given the day off, you've seen that proposed? I've seen a proposal to rather than having an election day, how about an election weekend that starts on Saturday and concludes at the end of the Tuesday, the, the traditional election day, making it easier to at least get to the polls. But, again, I think uh, th- this, again, I think suggests that um, – uh, that you you have this mail-in situation that a lot of people are skeptical about. It's, the mail-in ballots don't bother me as much as mass mail-out. It's the mass mailing out that causes, in states that allow that, because they mail ballots to everyone on the voter rolls, and in every single voter roll in every county in this country, I believe, is erroneous. Here in Mississippi, and you know, we've had Secretary of State Michael Watson on many times talking about his ideas of how to clean up, requesting our legislature pass legislation, pass a bill to enable the Secretary of State to work with the um, the clerks in the counties to clean up the voter rolls. And we can't get it passed. Can't get it passed. And I honestly, I thought it was pretty because reasonable. Because like any time a Republican brings up Medicare or Medicaid or Social Security and the funding thereof, they get lambasted by the Democrats just telling ball-faced lies. Same thing happens. If a Republican brings up the fact that the voter rolls need to be checked for veracity, then the Democrats cry wolf and, oh, you're disenfranchising African-American voters. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Chris from Oxford says, well, Gerard Florida's got it figured out. Not really. And i tell you why, Chris. Because it's not that Florida does anything different with respect to tabulating votes. It's just that their laws are such that there's no lagging after Election Day. That's the big thing. And in, in other states as well. So there, you, you just don't have this situation where you're waiting and waiting and waiting. Florida is, for the most part, uh, all optical scanning, mark sense, balloting. It wasn't too long ago you had the old manual hanging chads. And honestly, it was that incident that served as a catalyst for Florida to go out and completely revamp their entire elections process because that was a disaster and and it was uh, embarrassing. Honestly, the whole nation was waiting for these stupid hanging chads, and as you recall, the Supreme Court had to intervene, call the election. So, it, I mean, so what they have figured out is just that 
It's all optical scanning. And and that's and they use the machines that scan the ballots that that electronically tabulate the ballots. And those are just uploaded and boom, you got results. But it, there's no waiting for more ballots to come in for several days afterwards. They they don't do it. So in some states, you know, don't don't allow you to start counting absentee ballots until election day. I believe Florida allows you to start counting prior to election day. So they got a head start. I think Pennsylvania is one of those that doesn't allow that, as I recall. Um, and then I've also seen people, Rhino, that make this comparison. Well, how can the lottery, how, how can they know all the details, all the status of all the tickets sold and, you know, do a drawing and know whether or not within a short period of time after that there's some of hundreds of millions of tickets out there that uh, are winners. And the answer to that is honestly very simple, very straightforward. It's because there are no humans involved in it. It is completely automated end-to-end from the specialized proprietary terminals used by the retailers to sell and process the tickets, which immediately insert all that data in hyper-converged systems stored in cloud environments and multiple data centers across the country for for resiliency and redundancy. It's instant, because it's end-to-end electronic. And it's for the 47 participating jurisdictions in the Multistate Lottery Association. It's all standardized. It's one system in all 47. So it's an invalid comparison. We have 50 states, all of which have... 50 different election processes, none of which touch the other, if you will. They don't integrate. And most of which are done with manual processing. It's not end-to-end electronics. So the same people that are saying, how can the lottery achieve that, are also the ones that say, we got to do all manual and have humans do it. Well, it's apples and oranges, because the lottery does it. There are no humans involved in it whatsoever. It would be impossible, if you think about it. It would be impossible to process that kind of size data set in a short period of time, which is orders of magnitude larger than ballots cast in this country. We'll take a break right here on Middays. We're just getting started. Don't forget, we got Frank Bordeaux, chairman of the Mississippi GOP, coming in at 11.05. Super Talk Mississippi Outdoors with Ricky Matthews at 12. Stay with us. Today, you're listening to Middays with Gerard, Gerard Gibbert, here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi. Live from the Element Wealth Studios. Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. Also, we got a remote coming up 
this Friday back on the road in Columbia, Mississippi, middays with yours truly, Good Things, and the Super Talk Eagle Hour will be in Columbia on Friday for the annual Columbia Christmas Festival. Preparations are underway to kick off the spectacular festival in Supertalk, Mississippi. We'll be in downtown Columbia with all the details. Looking forward to that. Hopefully it'll warm up a little bit. Before then, I think we're outside. I'm going to have to bring me a heater and some layers of clothes, I reckon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Should be fun, though. Looking forward to that. Moe says, no matter where I was assigned, stateside and overseas, I was able to get an absentee ballot for Lawrence County District 2 before Election Day. Every squadron has a voting officer that can, I guess, mail your ballot for you? Or get your ballot for you. Get your ballot for you? Okay, yeah. Appreciate that, uh, Mose, for that information. Rob from Pontotoc says, we're just going to turn into Canada, aren't we? One party rules everything, and the other is just exists to give the main party a talking point. Well, I don't think I'm quite there with you on that uh, yet, Rob. Uh, I, I do think, though, that it's time for some serious self-assessment and evaluation. Talking about the, uh, the Republicans and conservatism in general in this country. Why is, it not, why is the message not resonating? And I'll, I'll share with you just a thought that I have about that. I caught Joe Biden a tweet from him over the weekend. Now, what are the odds are that Joe Biden is actually typing in his own tweets like Donald Trump did? Slim to none, would you say? Closer to none. Yeah. And here's what he said. So you may have seen last week he was questioned about changing course given the fact that Republicans are likely... By the way, earlier this morning, he did concede Republicans are going to um, obtain control of the House. He did say that publicly this morning, made a statement. He's expecting that. Well, he was asked by journalists, hey, does this change your approach to governing? He said, no, stay in the course. Everything's the same. Here's what he said over the weekend concerning the midterm elections and the outcome which was clearly not the so-called anticipated red wave. He says, and I quote, the American people overwhelmingly support our agenda, colon, lower prescription drug cost, making health care more affordable, rebuilding America, taking on climate change, making big corporations begin to pay their fair share in taxes. Those writers are crafty and clever, aren't they, Rhino? They always have begin to pay. Not just pay their fair share. Oh, no. These laws we just passed, this minimum 15% taxation and so forth on corporations which produce more than a billion of revenue, that's just the beginning. Anyhow, so think about that series. Lower drug costs, affordable health care, rebuilding America, taking on the climate crisis, and taxing them dirty, greedy, dastardly, evil, wicked corporations. Yeah, I do think that's what most of this country wants. The problem with that is that it lacks context. It, it lacks clear, complete thought and, and holistic 
and and holistic analysis of those policies. So it's great to say lower prescription drug costs. Sure, who doesn't want that? No, I want to pay more for my prescription drugs. But the Democrat approach is price controls. Force, essentially, the pharmaceutical companies to charge what they want them to charge. It's price controls. So... But I think the average consuming American says, I don't care. I don't care about them price controls. If that means my insulin goes down, my prescription drugs as a Medicare subscriber go down, I'm cool with that. Yeah, government, go get them. Right. Your industry is next with respect to price controls and government intervention in the market. And then it's making health care more affordable. What's he talking about? Something we talked about this morning in our little Super Talk meeting. It's flown under the radar. But a key provision of the so-called Inflation Reduction Act was to extend enhancements in the Affordable Care Act, a.k.a. Obamacare exchanges, extend the increased subsidies, premium subsidies, and tax credits, and cost-sharing reductions, those got a dramatic boost in the American Rescue Plan for a year. But the law just passed in August, the Inflation Reduction Act, now extends those for three years. Now, that's one of the provisions you don't hear a lot about. You hear about all the Green New Deal tax credits, right, for electric water heaters and electric panels and electric vehicles and you hear all that stuff and you hear about the 15% minimum tax but you don't hear a lot about the three-year extension of these enhanced subsidy provisions of the uh, Affordable Care Act. You don't hear about that. Well, that's what he's talking about. So, yeah, to the people that are receiving Those benefits, they like that. But he doesn't explain that that only applies to the people that are buying subsidized coverage in the exchanges. He states it generically like that. I think there are a lot of people out there who say, yeah, Joe, he's going to bring down my health care premiums. Rebuilding America. Of course, that's referring to the $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill passed this time last year. And then the CHIPS Act, recently enacted, both pieces of legislation were also supported by a number of Senate Republicans, 14 on the inflation, uh, pardon me, the infrastructure bill, and 17 on the CHIPS Act, which are just big subsidies to chip-making companies. So, yeah, uh, people see that. Yeah, rebuild America. Taking on the climate crisis, I haven't seen any recent data on that, but it's amazing to me how many people do believe that's a problem, even on the right. And so he presents himself as really the only president that's addressed it, done anything about it. And then making the big corporations pay their fair share. That poll's extremely high. Extremely high. Yeah, stick it to them, make them pay more. People, we have engendered this class warfare in this country. There's so much envy 
so much resentment, so much distrust of the private sector, that in effect what they're saying is, I trust government more than I do the private sector to manage a $20 trillion economy. Insanity. That is the definition of insanity. And But that's what they're saying. Well, so this list that he put out, I believe it is popular. I believe most people, without really thinking through the deleterious consequences of these policies, yeah, that's why I support Joe and Democrats. They're going to make my prescription drugs go lower, my health care go lower. They care about the climate, and they're going to make those corporations pay more, begin to pay their fair share. I do think that that resonates, unfortunately. So I fault the Republicans for not effectively countering that. And, of course, I think something else that was very effective on the campaign trail is Joe went out, as did the other Democrats, and absolutely horrified lots of people and talked them into this idea that Republicans were going to do away with Social Security and Medicare. They believed it. And they believed it simply because a couple of senators said, we really need to look at this thing, guys. It's going broke. That's all they said. We really need to coalesce around this issue and come up with some solutions to preserve it and protect it. And that that has got hijacked by the Democrats into, you see what they want to do? They want to kill your Medicare and Social Security. And people got scared. It's very effective campaigning. Clever. Unfortunately, folks just don't want to go beyond the, the epithelial layer, so to speak, and really investigate and analyze and, and attempt to understand all these details and these nuances. And Republicans are not really good, in my view, of explaining that. They don't have a good, qualified spokesperson. It's We're too focused on the elections were stolen and not really breaking through on these policy matters that gets people to vote a certain way. We're coming right back with more. Frank Bordeaux coming up at 11.05. You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. Midday Super Talk Mississippi from the Element Well Studios. Jason on the ceasefire text line says, I believe the climate is a factor, more so the way we prevent or react to disasters in the short term. I do not subscribe to this notion that banning gas lawnmowers will help anything in 30 years. So why did Trump not spend some of the millions of dollars he had to help the candidate he supported? You can throw McConnell in there, too, says William in Greenville. I will uh, attempt to offer my – I won't attempt. I will offer my opinion on that. And and I think it honestly, Rhino, applies to both McConnell and Trump. They're selfish. 
They throw their dollars behind not who's the best candidate in the race for the district, the state, the country. Who's loyal to them? You agree? Oh, yeah. They're all about themselves. No question about it. That's why McConnell has a whole wall in his office devoted to all the negative portrayals of him on magazine covers. Didn't know that. Oh, yeah. But I can believe it, just based on his personality and observing it. Absolutely. And he's made it very clear. Incumbents get the money. Republican incumbents. If there's a better candidate challenging an incumbent in the Senate I'm talking about, he ain't going to help you. Only incumbents. And I believe that's because he doesn't want anybody who might not be in his pocket, who might not be aligned with him. And I, too, also believe that his support and dragging along, essentially forcing many senators to walk the plank to support the infrastructure bill and the CHIPS Act, which he did, effectively, played into the Democrats' hands. It gave them victories. And they touted that effectively on the campaign trail. And it would not have happened without their support. That was, they got rolled. They got duped. So did Manchin, which is why he's all mad now. Because he jumped on board that deal, the infrastructure bill, you remember that. And the Inflation Reduction Act, more specifically, because there was a little quid pro quo. I know that's hard to believe, a little back office deal. that said, yeah, we're going to give you those permits. Remember that for those pipelines in West Virginia and some money there. We're going to take care of you, Joe, if you'll get on board here and push this thing through. And then that didn't happen. He got rolled. He got duped. When will these people realize they're all in it for themselves? But that's why, the it's my opinion, William, in Greenville, is that the only supported people who support them, and in particular with Trump, unless you're a, an election denier, unless you just unequivocally agree that the election was stolen from him, he ain't helping you. Period. And that's, I think, where we are. And I think the party is at a crossroads where they're going to have to choose Trump or the party, literally. It's it's ripping the party apart. It's clear. You've got candidates who are still not wavering on their loyalty. They're just, they're all in for him. And you got some that are saying we got to move on. Josh Hawley, Senator, he said it. Chris Christie, wow. He pulled no punches. He said the GOP will never win an election without Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. And that's never going to happen as long as Republicans are still stumping for Donald Trump. And I do agree with him there that you've got to win Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. It's how Trump won in 16. That that was the shock. 
as you recall. That when they started flashing up the returns there, remember on CNN and MSNBC, and when they saw, I don't remember the exact sequence, Rhino, but it was those states, right? Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. And to some extent, there was concern about Ohio as well. Because in past presidential elections, that's been a key state. And Florida as well. I think that situation's changed now. But I do recall that. And I, and I think Chris Christie's right. So how do you win Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania? Because you're not going to win the presidential election without them. That includes taking Arizona and Georgia, which is what happened in 16 and didn't in 20. So I think it's a time for some reckoning, some soul-searching, and to be introspective. We're going to take a break right here. Time uh, for the news. And then Frank Bordeaux, chairman of the Mississippi GOP, is coming on in the Element Well Studios. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Midday, Super Talk Mississippi, hour two of the program, kicking off a brand new week in the Element Well Studios. Joining us now, Frank Bordeaux, chairman of the Mississippi GOP. Morning, Frank. Thanks for coming on. Good morning, Gerard. Thank you for having me. Yes, sir. So let's start uh, with a little news on an announcement here in the state of Mississippi, and that occurred uh, with a candidate... Um, announcing this morning, right, here on uh, our air. That would be Mandy Gunasekra says she's going to run for the Public Service Commission post as a commissioner in the Northern District. Presently, that seat is held by Democrat Brandon Presley. What do you think? We're excited about it. I met with her and her husband last night. Our staff did, and um, we're you know ready to work with her uh, until she gets a primary opponent, if she gets a primary opponent. Uh, she's got a great background for it. Unlike some of the uh, candidates we saw uh, nationally, uh, hmm. we may not have had the best candidates in the world, uh, and that may be uh, you know the result that we got last Tuesday. But we got a great candidate in Mandy. She's going to do a fantastic job. Uh, she's hit the ground running, and we're excited to uh, work with her. And uh, we're we're ready to beat Brandon. Yeah, so that it's interesting that uh, that and of course transportation commissioner here in the central district, held by Democrat Willie Simmons. I think those may be the only right. They're presently held by Democrats, and of course all the statewides are in Republican hands. I think that's it, right? That's it. Yeah, sir. yeah, that's what I thought. So yeah, she's certainly qualified uh, for that position, having served as the chief of staff of the EPA. Uh, during the Trump administration. Of course, she's uh, been kind enough to fill in here on middays, and also the Gallo Show as well. Does an excellent job, understands uh, the political landscape, but also understands the technical aspects of uh, the job of the PSC. So 
uh, certainly well qualified. So explain, uh, Frank, to our audience the, the policies, the standards of the Mississippi GOP with respect to primaries where you may have multiple candidates running as Republicans as far as what sort of uh, support, uh, endorsement, assistance the party can provide those candidates. So we don't get involved in primary campaigns where that's not our job, where our job is to focus in on the uh, general election. We're going to get everybody uh, filed, make sure that that's done, and we're going to work with our local parties to make sure that we have a, a good primary system but as far as getting involved in endorsing any candidates um as long as i'm chairman we're not going to do that <clears throat> one thing that we're focused in on uh is a republican party now you know 2023 is coming up and we are going to uh tout the record that the republicans have had over the past three years it's a very good record and it's a record that mississippians are proud of uh we just got through doing a poll here in the last month and a half, and although Mississippians were very concerned about inflation in the national economy, they were very optimistic as it relates to Mississippi and our future. And so that was, you know, uh, I, and I believe it's because of the record of what we've ran on. So, and we're also very focused in on we. There's a lot of gains we can make down ticket in the supervisors race and sheriffs races. There's a lot of areas that are still um, Democrat that are conservative areas that vote conservative when it comes to governor or president right and so we're going to work to try to grow the party uh down ticket that's been a focus we were very successful in carthage uh this past tuesday yeah you know they didn't have a red wave nationally but in mississippi we did have a a red wave we expected to pick up possibly the mayor maybe one or two council seats we picked up four and the mayor and it was overwhelming and so a lot of hard work was done in carthage by local folks and uh the party was happy to step in and help where we could. Yeah, that that was a, a pretty big deal that didn't get a whole lot of attention, but uh, the shifting to the Republicans uh, in Carthage, I think it's quite the achievement. It is, and we, you know, we've seen it over the past couple of years where we're starting to see seats and cities that are uh, had the tendency to go Democrat, they're going Republican. We're, we're excited about that. We're ready to work hard for our counties. I talked to a county chairman the other day, and he really wants to move his county Republican. And just looking at the uh, data that we have, they should be Republican. And so we're going to continue to work hard uh, on that uh, through the primary season. And then any Democrats that come on, we're going to to beat uh, in November. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good deal. All right, so there is a protest occurring as we speak uh, for District 2. Brian Flowers, the Republican candidate, organized this. His campaign did. They're concerned about the elections process in Hines County. Are you aware of that, and and do you have any thoughts about that? I'm not aware of the uh, protest. I really have not. I've spoken to uh, Mr. Flowers several times since. I know they're concerned. Uh, I've spoken to our Attorney General, I mean, our Secretary of State, uh, they have looked into all the issues. I've also spoken to some of the folks that were on the ground in Hines County. Sounds like there was a lot of incompetency. I don't know if there was intentional uh, uh, illegal actions, but if there is, obviously, anywhere in the state, whether it's Hines County or anywhere else, yeah. we definitely want our voters to document that on Election Day and call the authorities when it happens. Uh, we we want to rid our state of any potential voter fraud. Um, obviously, the party is in favor of, of 
uh, getting rid of that, as I would imagine the Democrat Party would be as well. I would hope so. Yeah, absolutely. So we got uh, the Senate now, it, uh, it appears, is down to one election. That would be the runoff in uh, the state of Georgia. But as it stands right now, the Democrats are going to retain control of the Senate. It's either going to be 51-49 if uh, the Democrat prevails in Georgia, or 50-50, which is what we have now, if Republican Herschel Walker pulls it out. So that's where we are in the Senate. But the House, more importantly, looks like we got about 19 races, last I checked, outstanding Republicans lead 212 to 204, total of 216 called. How do you feel about that? Even the president a couple hours ago, Frank, said, yeah, Republicans look poised to take the House. Yeah, right now we're ahead in 10 of those races. Uh, Democrats are ahead in nine, so it looks like we're poised to uh, win the election. I don't want to uh, – your your listeners may remember this or, or not, but I remember in the show, but you and I – uh, talking and saying that the Senate was difficult, and we yep. believe we could pick up 10 or 12 seats in the House. Um, you know, the last week of the election, I got very optimistic watching the polls and everything, but I think what played out is what we expected to play out. It's a very tough calendar. It's tough to count yep. in uh, this election. We didn't have very good message. You know, we kind of sound, sound like the Democrats. I know Rhino used to say, orange man bad. Well, we were kind of like the Democrats, where we were just saying Democrats bad without really uh, uh, a direction uh, or a message. And so um, we can blame it on bad candidates, but I was reminded yesterday when I said that, uh, you know, we we had some candidates who were bad candidates, and the person reminded me, well, the worst candidate in the nation was Fetterman, and he won. So that really isn't that good of an excuse, but uh, there is a lot to say about our messaging and the quality of candidate, I believe. And, you know, abortion in a lot of these states, it was definitely on the ballot. And the young folks showed up to, to vote in areas that we didn't anticipate, and I think that that skewed the polls a little bit. So there's a lot of things that we can take out of this and work on as a party nationally. But from a state party perspective, I think we're in pretty good shape. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And uh, But, but I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that I think we've got to do a little a little soul searching here. The party does, and uh, and come up with a more effective strategy. It it's not just a function of, uh, I guess, flawed candidates. While while I agree, maybe we could have improved there. Uh, you're so right, Fetterman. I don't know that there's ever been a worse candidate uh, running uh, for the U.S. Senate. But I believe that uh, you know you had record turnout amongst Gen Zers, record turnout, yes. and they broke. 65, 66% for Democrats. And it just feels like that the Republican messaging isn't resonating with them, whatever that messaging is. I just feel like, Frank, and I get you to comment on this, we got to focus on here's what we're going to do. Here's our vision, and here's how we're going to achieve it. And But more importantly, this is what it means to you specifically. And the Democrats very effectively said, we're going to lower your, your drug costs, we're going to lower your health care costs, we're going to address climate change, and we're going to tax the snot out of those corporations, and people like that. Yeah, well, and, and we have to answer that. I mean, that, you know, I was sitting with my 8-year-old and 10-year-old uh, yesterday evening, and we were eating McDonald's, and my, my son asked me, he said, what is inflation, <laughs> and, and what causes it? So yeah. I started talking about it. He got it right away. And you can't you can't tax fifty percent of the people, give that money away, 
to the other 50% of the people and think that that's going to solve any problem. Totally agree. But totally we have agree. to be able to articulate that uh, to all Americans, and we really need to do it on college campuses. Totally agree. You're spot on. Frank, appreciate you coming on, giving us an update. I'm sure we'll be talking soon. Good to talk to you, sir. Good to talk to you. Thank you. Frank Bordeaux, chairman of the Mississippi GOP, will step aside for a break right here in the Element Well Studios and come right back. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's go. Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi. Live from the Element Well Studios, kicking off a brand new week here. In fact, we're going to be here in the studios Monday through Thursday and headed down to Columbia, Mississippi for the annual Columbia Christmas Festival on Friday. Looking forward to that. I've been on the road a little bit, you know, last week, three in a row. I will admit, I will admit, I was exhausted Friday after being on the road three days in a row. The, as you know, the interviews can can take it out of you. Oh, yeah. And I think I counted 22 in three days. I enjoy them all. Don't get me wrong. Love talking to people. Great guests. Appreciate Alex Payton, our content director, for lining all those up, as she does. Excellent job. And, and we, of course, want uh, the customers, those would be the folks that uh, are purchasing the remotes, we want them to be happy, and I hope they were. I think I think they feel like they were. We got positive feedback. That's what it's all about. And I really enjoy that. But uh, I needed a little sleep after that, to be honest with you. So, Painted Black by the Rolling Stones bumping us in. Uh, you know, every time I, you play that, I have to mention that that was the theme song for the great television series. It didn't run, but two or three years. Tour of Duty about Vietnam, life in Vietnam, right? It was awesome. And I believe the song by the Rolling Stones was recorded during the Vietnam era, like in the 70s, 70, 71, something like that. Also got to tell you that flipping the channels last night and came once again upon one of my favorite movies because I'm just mesmerized by the quality of the acting and the script, and that's Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Oh, yeah. Is that just such a great, well-done movie? I mean, Spencer Tracy is awesome. And you recall, he died shortly after uh, performing. But gosh, he's so good in that. Sidney Potier. now I believe it was 68. You know, he made three blockbuster movies. Sidney Potier starred in them. Three that year. How in the world could you do three like that? In the heat of the night. Guess who's coming to dinner? And one of my favorites, To Serve With Love. But Spencer Tracy, gosh, he's incredible. Have you ever seen the remake? I have not. 
There's a remake starring the late great Bernie Mac with uh, Ashton Kutcher and Zoe Saldana called Guess Who. It I forget when it came out. It was right around the same time I graduated high school. But it's it's, it's a great remake. Usually remakes they don't quite have the same luster right. as the. This one was really good. I'll have to check it out. Then again, I mean anything Bernie Mac seen is really good. Yeah, yeah, excellent. What really. It just blows me away is when Spencer Tracy is making his soliloquy there with the family assembled, right? John Sidney Potier, young doctor, I believe, and his parents, uh, the black parents, of course, and then Joey, Sidney, and Catherine Hepburn, his wife. Um, Spencer, pardon me, his wife, Catherine Hepburn. Anyhow, they're all gathered together, and he's going through his little soliloquy. How does she produce those tears the way she did on command, sitting there, glowing as he was speaking? It's just good. really is. I mean, that's, that's just acting. Won the Academy Award, I believe, for his performance in that. Just good. Anyhow, just passing, passing that on. So... Larry and Mize, not happy about the outcome, believes it's a function of stolen elections. Fair enough. He says, it doesn't matter how many people we get out to vote as long as states allow unsolicited mail-in ballots. They can simply keep mailing in ballots till they have enough to win. It's disenfranchising many voters. Unsolicited mail-in ballots are unconstitutional. So why won't the National Republican Party sue these states that allow these things like unsolicited mail-in ballots and ballot harvesting? Am I wrong about this? You are. If so, someone please enlighten me. Okay. There is no mass mail-out of ballots in the state of Pennsylvania. Only a couple of states do that. Washington is one that comes to mind. You with me on that, Rhino? I haven't looked up how many states do allow it. Ballot harvesting is allowed in some states, not in others. So I think, Larry, the question is, do you want what the Democrats want, which is federalized elections and consistent, standard, one-size-fits-all rules to govern elections, or do you want each state to control it? Because otherwise, we're not going to change it. We're not going to change it. Now, in in Pennsylvania, I guess I would submit that Fetterman, who is, I agree, a deeply flawed candidate, I'd pose this question to you. How many votes do you think he received that were fraudulent? How many? And given that that election was called on Election Day, they did have a large number of mail-in ballots. So did Florida. Why did it work in Florida and not in Pennsylvania? Democrats could have cheated in Florida. Georgia, why did Governor Kemp win by such a wide margin in Georgia and Herschel Walker lost? By a small amount, by a small margin, granted. In Nevada, that the governor's seat, the governor's office flipped for the Republican, yet the Democrat won the Senate race. Why didn't they cheat to get a Democrat governor? Could have done the same thing. 
I I guess that, and also in, now, so in Pennsylvania, it is uh, no excuse absentee voting. You have to request it. In some states, such as Mississippi, you got to have a reason, a valid reason. But you know how much digging is done on that rhino. I I don't think a lot. I mean, you could just say, I'm not going to be in town that day. Pretty much that's an excuse, right? You don't have to, like, prove, show me your papers or anything to prove you're not going to be physically present. Yeah, you don't have to have a plane ticket or a doctor's note or anything like that. You just say, hey, I'm not going to be there. Yeah, so you could do the same thing here. Oh, yeah. So then why don't Democrats do that? If it's so easy to to cheat is what I'm saying. You do it in Mississippi. I'm just not – I'm not prepared to attribute all losses to they stole the election. If we're going to do that, because we ain't going to change it, we might as well hang it up now. We'll never win again. Never. Never win a presidential election again. Likely never control the Senate. And if the cheating is so widespread and so easy, why didn't they cheat to keep control of the House? So that they'd have the trifecta and push the entire agenda in. If it's that easy, that widespread, New York, that's where seats flipped. Five, to be exact. I just read, got notified on another one, looks like in California, that flipped. So, now does that mean that I don't think there's any irregularities whatsoever? No, I've said that before. I think there are irregularities and inaccuracies in every single election at every level. And the reason is because Humans make errors, and humans are involved. And then you say, okay, well, let's insert automation into the mix. And then people get concerned about that, understandably so, because that's subject to tampering, electronic tampering. It does make you wonder, though, back to the lottery comparison, right? You could tamper with that, couldn't you? But you can't. Because the safeguards are pretty pretty powerful. But that's one if you want that's one big centralized system. Forty seven jurisdictions, one system. In in the country it's fifty jurisdictions, fifty systems. And then that even goes further, right, down to the county level, which may select under state law. Their preferred process for capturing ballots. I noticed this time when I voted, new technology now allows signing in electronically on a pad. Signature, capturing your signature. Typically you do that, goes into the record as a signature on a certain line. And then you're you're assigned a ticket that uh, in our in, at least in my county that is your authority to receive a ballot from the next level in the process. That's done been done historically with pen and paper. Now that's done electronically. I think it's great. So you just sign in on a on a pad, swing it around, use your finger, and sign in. Your signature's captured and digitized immutably. We'll come back with more here on Middays in the Element Well Studios. A lot more to talk about. Stay with us.
Mississippi. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. Yeah, this is one of those tunes where old Pete Townsend is going to bust up a guitar at the end of it. <laughs> Demolishes it, that instrument on the stage. Uh, Jerry in Waynesboro says, so he sent a screenshot. It says, uh, so in Arizona, you mean to tell me more people showed up to vote for treasurer than governor? Uh, Jerry, I suggest you check the math there. If I, it, it's hard to read what you sent. But more people did vote for governor based on the screenshot than treasure. So I'm not sure what the purpose of that is. But note that in Mississippi, you remember this rhino, uh, Michael Watson talking about it? In the 20, let's see, 2020, right? More people voted for the flag than the president. A lot of folks that did select a flag option or vote for a flag option, left the top of the ticket blank. Remember Michael talking about that? I got that right. You're agreeing. Yeah, okay. So I don't think there's anything unusual there, Jerry, but just note that based on that data, I mean, it's hard to read, but based on my calculations with the data you sent, more people did vote for governor than treasurer. And I can't imagine why somebody would cast a ballot and leave any race blank. That's always perplexed me, unless they just don't like any, any candidate and they just pass, you know, on, on casting a vote there. So, CC in Senatobia says, what's worse, believing cheating is happening or believing this many flesh and blood people are actually voting for Democrats? Well, I would just say this, CC, that if we just bury our head in the sand, and just conclude that these people are idiots, they don't know what they're doing, and no, this just didn't happen, and they don't support this agenda, and then we're going to keep losing. Because I do, unfortunately, believe that there are a lot of people in this country that want this big government socialism. And I attribute that to the brainwashing that's occurring in our schools, particularly in our colleges. And for decades, they've been turning out these brainwashed clones. I mean, those who truly do buy in to the Marxism being peddled on them on college campuses. And I know know you've seen the reports where like 95% of the faculty and administration support and donate to Democrats. There's no balance There's no laboratories of open thought going on on many of our college campuses. Some are. Not trying to generalize and throw them all under the bus, but but just in general, it's a haven for leftists and liberals 
And they're spewing this crap at these impressionable young adults who are buying into it. And the prospect of getting their student loan forgiven and sticking it to those corporations and and uh, pharmaceutical companies and raising taxes on the wealthy. I saw this weekend Robert Reich. You remember him, the Secretary of Education under the Clinton administration? He's a card-carrying communist. I mean, he doesn't even try to hide it. He tweeted, Why do billionaires like Elon Musk pay almost nothing in taxes because they have almost no income? Their wealth is in shares of stock, which they borrow against to pay for their lavish lifestyles. Hence why we need a wealth tax. So, I think Elon Musk has got a tiger by the tail here with respect to Twitter. There's now suggestions that it may not survive as a going concern business. Okay, so Robert, the government going to send him money for his paper losses, which, by the way, he's experienced quite a bit of this year, as have lots of other stockholders, billionaire stockholders that have significant positions, especially in so-called big tech, which is down about 30%. You going to send them money when they lose? Oh, no. You just want to take it when they're winning. And then the question is, to do what with? Shove it out the door, down the hall, to the recipient class. Like him or not, can you deny that Elon Musk has been an incredible, productive member of society? How can you deny that? So now that he's achieved massive wealth on paper, even as Robert Reich says here, now you want to confiscate it. As if he did something bad. He's evil. He made money. That's evil. That's how they think. And I believe it's because he's a loser. He knows he can't function in that world. He would never achieve that. He's a he is a a government animal whose subsistence has come at the hands of the taxpayers who have paid for his his livelihood his entire life like Joe Biden. Yet they're quick to point fingers at risk takers. They made money off that. It's unbelievable. It's the incumbency. I'm telling you, it's the Gen Zs voting Democrats, Rhino. I swear, it's the incumbency coming out again. They got it easy, relatively speaking, to prior generations. Why not? Oh uh, yeah, sure. I got it easy. Forgive my student loans. Stick it to those pharmaceutical companies and corporations. Send me more money. Which, now that the midterms are over and the Democrats got the youth vote, it seems like they've given up on the fight for the student loan forgiveness. They yeah. stopped taking applications. They sure did, because a court over the weekend, another court struck the whole thing down, which it should, because it is not constitutional in my view. It, we should not empower a sitting president with a swipe of a pen to just wipe out a trillion and a half of debt owed to the taxpayers. That's not right. And it sets an incredibly dangerous precedent, does it not? 
But yet, that pulled them into the polls. I mean, you have to admit, it's a brilliant strategy from a campaign perspective. I think it did lure a lot of voters to pull for the uh, Democrats. And I also think you have to consider, we've learned now post-election that the Dobbs case, the overturning of Roe, huge. Huge deal. Big factor. And you know what? I don't actually believe it's specifically because of abortion and sending that to the states, which the Republicans, I think, could have done a better job of explaining that. But it didn't help when you got Lindsey Graham in the Senate, right, calling for a ban and others. Nationwide wants to put that in law. By the way, Joe, in acknowledging this morning that Republicans are going to flip the House, he, he also informed America, sorry, we can't codify Roe. Remember, he said that. Top priority, codifying Roe. Top priority. Protecting the so-called right to kill babies in the womb. That was his top priority. That's how upside down it is. Unfortunately, it resonates. But here's where I'm going. It's not the abortion issue specifically, I think, that influence voters. It's the, the notion very effectively played during the campaign that Republicans also would ban at the federal level, push for legislation if they had control to ban same-sex marriage, interracial marriage, and birth control. Even Clarence Thomas, you recall, Rhino said, yeah, maybe we ought to revisit those. And what he was saying is, send those issues back to the state. That's all he was saying. But that nuance is lost. That logic is lost. All they hear is, oh my gosh, the Republicans are going to outlaw same-sex marriage and interracial marriage and birth control. Think about, we were just talking about, guess who's coming together uh, uh, to dinner? Spencer Tracy's soliloquy there said, there are a hundred million people in this country that are going to be outraged because of this wedding between a black man and a white female. He told them that. 68. I don't think most people care, including conservatives. I don't think they care about that. I don't think it's a top issue. But the Democrats effectively made that a key issue. See what those Republicans are going to do? They did. And that resonated. And I think that got the Gen Z folks out in mass. And they pulled that lever for the Democrats. Now, we can just d- dismiss that and say, nope. It was election fraud. That's what did it. Or we can be honest about it and be more clear thinking about it and try to understand and go with the voters and say, why did you vote for this guy? What, 2.9 million voted for Fetterman? All 2.9 million were fraudulent? Somebody's supporting the guy. We're coming right back. Final segment, then Super Top Mississippi Outdoors. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk Mississippi.
Welcome back, everyone. Midday, Super Talk Mississippi. A little Steely Dan. Good stuff there, Rhino. Thank you for that. Don't forget Super Talk Outdoors coming up, hosted by Ricky Matthews after the top of the hour. Oh, Liz Warren penned an interesting uh, op-ed over the weekend in the New York Times. And so I think quite predictable in that Democrats feel emboldened. Yeah, we have a mandate, which, of course, is horse hockey. There is no mandate in one direction or another. The country is pretty much split right down the middle. And the Democrats, of course, not only do they maintain the Senate, which is true, they're going to lose the House, but they maintain it by razor-thin margins. And it wasn't like blowouts in any of the battleground races. And she goes on to say, she even talks about Fetterman. She says, and I quote Liz Warren here talking, the so-called experts who called Democrats' messaging incoherent were just plain wrong. And candidates who ignored their advice won. John Fetterman embraced populist economic policies and called out corporate greed. And he won. And I saw him. I mean, he he and other Democrats, they're attributing inflation to corporate greed. Price gouging, corporate greed, making too much money. They simply do not accept the concept, the virtue and value of free markets. They don't. They believe government has to centrally plan the economy. And even though inflation... No question, it's crushing most American households. Fact is, voters don't think Republicans have a plan to cure it, to tame it. And I don't think they did very good at articulating a message along those lines either. It's just, see what Biden did? Well, that's that's not really an effective campaign strategy. She says, many Democrat candidates lean hard into protecting abortion rights and democracy while also aggressively supporting popular economic plans. Lobbyists are already calling for Democrats to pass unpopular policies and help their wealthy clients avoid taxes. Some in Washington are back to insisting that responsible government requires responding to voters' rejection of Republican extremism. Unbelievable. Prediction. Before the Congress, the new Congress convenes in January, still got a lame duck session here in the House, Nancy Pelosi is going to advance legislation to eliminate the debt ceiling. She's going to put that on the floor, She's going to get that passed. The president will sign it, and the Republicans in the House are going to have to then manage a continuing resolution to fund the government without a debt ceiling serving as a bit of a natural safeguard, even with Democrats and Republicans, frankly, who want to spend a whole lot more and stick their pet projects in those continuing resolutions. And that will fuel inflation even more, pouring 
fuel on the fire there. Argo and Blue Springs reminds us, and he's right, that Elon Musk paid more taxes last year before than any citizen in history. It's totally true. Malcolm from Tishomingo says, must have term limits. We can keep saying that all day long, Malcolm. It's never going to happen. And honestly, why, I would ask? Why don't we collectively as a nation, why don't we effectuate term limits at the ballot box? Why don't we? Think about our own situation. We've got uh, a sitting senator. Senator Wicker is up for re-election in 24. If he wins, that will be his fourth term. That would be 24 years as a senator. So what should the term limits be? I'm just using him as an example. But if the folks want change, rather than that being forced by term limits, why don't they do it at the ballot box? I've always wondered that. Dave from Anistee does remind that Oprah said to vote for him. Talk, talking about Fetterman, right? Yeah, she sure did. Paula Meridian says, I don't think cheating had much effect on Pennsylvania. I mostly thought it was stupidity and people being uninformed. And you know the problem with that, Paul? I hear you. I'm not arguing with you. They think we're stupid for supporting Oz. See, that's the problem. You're not aligned with me. You're an idiot. And both sides say that. Both sides do. It's true. We just go to our corners. What do you mean, you stupid idiot? You don't think like I do? <laughs> and guess what? There's like a sea, a gulf between those views. We're out of time here today. Super Talk Outdoors coming up with Ricky Matthews back in the Element Well studios tomorrow. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.